suburb called Kenridge in Durbanville. And um, we are a little bit tougher over there, and so I'll claim it. But um, what we what we did yesterday, and I'm in I'm in great pain. It's <laughs> the point of the story, um, is that it was my nephew, my eight-year-old nephew's birthday, so they hired a water slide. And every time someone in the family hires one of those, you know, they're like jumping castles that go into the pool. They're like I don't know how many meters high, and you can go. The kids go in the party and kind of go into the pool. But then what we do is we have a new rule once all the kids go, and that it's like it's free for all. And so the only rule is if you play with the adults, you might get hurt. But what we do is we do a challenge where we have different teams, and you can run up the water slide. And the first one to make it up without getting tackled, you can kick anyone you want, you can hit them, you can hurt them. You just have to get yourself or your team member up the top of the water slide. And so you get, I can't tell you how much water I got up my nose yesterday. Um, I have a sore hip. I have a sore back, I hurt my finger, and I have a sore neck. And as I was coming to church this morning, and the, I was actually, my main competitor was my grade eight nephew, who's now become a water polo player, so he's got that like six-pack going, and he's got soccer and athletic legs, and I just realized last year I could beat him at arm wrestling, and yes, we do that in the northern suburbs too as women. Um, so <laughs> I, um, I could beat him at arm wrestling. I'm not going to try this year, and I just, I was driving to church this morning, and I was like, I'm just, I'm feeling my age now. And so then I was thinking about tonight, and I just thought, at least I still trump him when it comes to wisdom. Um, because I can just see him making the most foolish grade eight decisions, and you just know that you've been there, and, um, and that he doesn't, you know, and I, I kind of see it like senses. You know when you hear of someone who maybe is losing, like loses their sight, and then all of a sudden they have a heightened um, sense of hearing, or there's another sense that develops that they rely on. And I see that in old age too, that as you get older, you might not be as physically strong, but the sense of wisdom just grows and grows, and you become a fountain of knowledge. And um, I was thinking about the world and just how we are actually craving wisdom because there's a lot of foolishness around. And I've just seen and just looking and noticing on on various like social media platforms that there's this craving almost for ancient wisdom. Um, one of them, if you've heard of Dr. Josh Axe, he's a health guy and he's into like ancient nutrition for modern days. And so he'll give you all these pointers on like some cool things if you, yeah, if you so desire. But the, the, the whole thing is that actually we've realized that popping a pill when you're sick isn't good enough, that you need to take control and go back to ancient times. And you can even see in the Bible how, you know, you can get a few pointers when it comes to your health. And so that is wonderful. But on the same kind of platforms, you will see people acting like absolute fools. And so we have this kind of the two extremes. And I think that really is how the world's wisdom works. Like, yes, we do get a bit more wisdom as we get older. We do get life experience. But if we're not walking with God and, and, and tapping into His wisdom, there's still a foolishness about us. And you probably see that all the time. In Sunday school, we've got a song, um, and it goes, wise. I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry, but it basically goes like this, very simple, it says, wise people listen, wise people learn, Proverbs 1, 5, wiggle like a worm, and so you'll never forget it if you come to Sunday school, but the funny thing when it comes to wisdom is that when you are immature, be it age-wise or even just in the faith, when you 
When you, when you are young, you don't always see the benefits of wisdom. If I can have that picture up. And you just see how kids, they don't, they don't actually, and mo- a few of these things have happened in our house even over the last few weeks. Not the candle one, that's a good one. Um, I, found, I found my daughter eating rancid peanuts out our dustbin um, while I was actually making her some very good food. But no matter how you try to teach a young person, until they kind of click, that they're rules that go into life, and that actually if we adhere to them, and we, as, we, as we grow up, we realize that these rules are actually here to protect us. We go through seasons where they're just way too abstract, and that's why when you're in primary school, especially in grade one, you learn very concrete things. You can't multiply because that's so abstract, so you learn what one plus one is, and then as you grow, you start adding to it until you can do maths with rather abstract concepts that are still abstract to me. I haven't grown in that area, but... Um, but when we, so we see that as we see the benefits, and as our, as our faith grows, it's the same thing. We see the benefit of the wisdom. And if you know and love God, and if you walk with Him, if you value your Bible, it's almost like we have an unfair advantage, because the creator of the universe, the God of all truth, who in Him, there is no lying, there is no untruth, there is no, He knows how the world works. He has given us rules to protect us, to make us safe. You have an unfair advantage to your life that other people don't have. And if that's the case, why aren't we as Christians thriving? Why aren't we doing so well at life? And sometimes it's because we don't embrace that wisdom. We think it's a good idea. We love reading it, um, but putting it to practice is completely different. So we're going to look at a, a little bit of wisdom from the life of Isaac. And I just thought about it, and it's, it's actually a bit of a crazy thing that we, we call certain books of the Bible wisdom literature, when actually the whole Bible is wisdom. And when I looked at the life of Isaac, there's so many beautiful and rich lessons. There's so many beautiful pictures too that we can't go into, um, but just a few lessons that we are going to be looking at from his life. And actually a lot of it, um, although it's very relevant for those who are young and, and just in those, because I feel like in this stage of life, just choosing wisdom becomes an important thing that we choose for our lives. Um, you, as a young person, I'm now classifying myself as old, um, it's a very important season to start embracing wisdom, yet there's something in Isaac's life for all of us. And so it's just a few lessons of what we can learn from his life. And the first one is that walking in godliness means not compromising when it comes to life decisions. Walking in godliness means not compromising, not giving in, not making the wrong decision when it comes to life decisions. And if you read in in Genesis chapter 24, and just read these verses with me, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Sounds strange, but it was a serious oath that was being made. He said, I want you to swear by the Lord, God, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. And so that wasn't a racially driven decision. It wasn't something that he was against those who he was living with. It was a spiritual thing of he, him needing to guard what God was doing in their family line. It's a protective thing. So he said, um, but uh, amongst whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife from my si- for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? 
Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? And once again, he protects what God is doing and where God has placed him. Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on earth, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He'll send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore on oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master, and he set out um, from Aram. And he made his way to Nahor. He had the camels kneel down at the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the woman would go out to draw water. This is a good dating tip for anyone wanting to find a spouse. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. And it's a real act of faith as you see him stepping out. And I just love the motivation behind it. It's really to protect what God is doing, to protect the family line. And so often we, we almost become quite reckless with, with what God has done in our lives, what with God has done in our own families. And sometimes we take for granted that we have been born and raised in a Christian family, that God has done something so beautifully unique in our home that we don't see it as something to be protected. We don't see things like integrity, godliness, walking with God as something to hold on to. And it is so important to realize that when it comes to major life decisions, you should not be compromising. If you know and love God, He should be your compass. He should be the one that you, that you, that you kind of go to for every decision. And it's amazing that, especially in the matter of, of choosing a spouse, of dating someone, of how you conduct yourself in dating, it's funny enough, the one conversation that I find people close off to the fastest, you almost, and you might not have even seen it in yourselves, but it, you know, as, as we chat and we start talking about, about guys and girls, there's an exciting that comes about. But when someone's about to make a bad decision, I've seen this so much as I've walked the road with people, I can see this glazed look come in their eyes. And it's almost like all of a sudden, it just washes over their ears and nothing is heard because all of a sudden they pass the point of honoring God. And you need to realize that you need to put checks in your life. You need to put um, things around you and people around you. And most importantly, God's word because you should not be compromising. Life partners is a big decision. There are the smaller ones um, that we make, but with every decision that we make, we need to be questioning, is this a godly decision? Even down to what you watch on TV. I've once again changed and turned off the TV a lot more as I started to ask myself that question again. There's so many things that we shouldn't be budging on, and we don't use God's word to evaluate what we're doing. The next thing, is that if it doesn't have God's fingerprints on, all, all over it, it's probably not from the hand of God. And we see this in, in the life of Isaac. And they, if, if you carry on reading the scriptures, and we, we don't have enough time to go through every single one, but you see how, how everything falls into place, how when he gets there, and, and then all of a sudden the process in which Rebecca comes to the family, and how she, how, she, how she fits in. And verse 67, I just want to highlight, it says, Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. 
and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That speaks of a good marriage, that, that God's hand was on it. And so many times, and I'm not talking about how you meet your spouse. I think sometimes as Christians, we also have this like love story, Hollywood love story meets, meets God's word, where we want this miraculous spouse to enter the door of the church and walk through, and, and that's the one that you're going to marry, and it doesn't always work like that, and I'm not talking about that. I'm, as when I'm talking about God's fingerprint on your relationships, on what you do, on your work life, if you're not seeing God's blessing and God's hand, and I'm not talking about prospering with wealth by blessing, I'm talking about God's blessing, God's approval. And if you're not seeing that, you need to question, is this from God? Is what you're doing from God? Because we see this beautiful thing of how God handpicked a spouse for Isaac, how there was an honoring of God and what God was doing in his family every step of the way. And so often we need to take a step back and we just need to go, am, am I strategically placing myself in God's will? Am I seeing his fingerprint over my life? The way I spend time with him, the way I spend my time in the day, the people that I'm with, the, the decisions I'm making, is God's fingerprint on everything? Am I allowing my life to be in his hands? Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so many times there are analogies in the Bible of just being held so closely by God. And the amazing thing is, is that fear is often the first thing to step in when we step out of God's will. Because all of a sudden we're moving from the security of just knowing that no matter what happens, I'm choosing to honor God. I'm choosing to put him first. And then when we do things our own way, and all of a sudden we're so desperate to see his hand on it, yet we're not letting him put his fingerprints on everything that we're doing. And Isaac just has such a beautiful story and such a beautiful picture of how we just see the spouse coming into the family and remember that their family line will ultimately bring Jesus who's going to come and change the world. This is part of the plan of salvation. It is so significant. And if you think about it, it's not just Isaac that, that is part of God's plan for salvation. We are part of his family line. So the things that you do with your life matter. And so you need to be including God in everything that you do. Then if we go a few chapters forward and just a little bit more into his life, um, we see another side to Isaac. We see something beautiful happen, but then we see him step into sin. And the lesson here that we can learn from is that we can sometimes go from the highest highs into the depth of sin. And not to think that just because you're in a good place today, that tomorrow you're not going to face temptation. Listen to what happens to him in verse, um, chapter 27, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of this place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window 
and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And isn't it amazing how you see God just reaffirming this covenant that he's made with Isaac's father, Abraham, and still going, Isaac, I pick you, I pick your family, you are chosen. And to hear those precious truths from God, the only family line in that day that was getting told those promises, that was just pure gold he was being handed. And he goes from those promises, the next verse, straight away, he steps into sin. And we all kind of go on the sidelines, how on earth did you do that, you crazy man? And I don't know if you've ever done that with other verses in the Bible, like, why did that person choose to do it? Why did they pick that sin? Why did David choose to step into sin when he was a king who could have had anyone? Why did Adam and Eve fall into temptation? And it's so easy to stand there and forget our own humanity, and that that could be us. And so often in life, we step from being on the highest heights of God. You can go on a camp. You can be in a great place. You could have had a great experience, the best quiet time in the world, and literally just step into sin because the reality of sin and Satan tempting us is real too. And there was a really good book that I read many years ago from someone called Gordon MacDonald, and he speaks about um, restoring your broken world. And he spoke about factors that predispose us to broken world experiences. And he'd speak about broken world experiences, like sin experiences. Sometimes, whereas a Christian, you taste the brokenness of this world. And there was such wisdom in these that I've carried a lot of them with me for life as just warning signs along the way. And so these aren't my own thoughts, but I would like to put them forward to you as things just to, to remember in your own life. Um, and the first one that he speaks about is a failure to recognize our sinfulness or our sinful potential. And he has a quote from G.K. Chesterton that says this, our one spiritual disease is thinking that one is quite well. So often we can be fooled into thinking that actually I'm kind of without sin. There's no big thing that I'm grappling with. And, you know, even when we, we might be helping a friend and our friend's chosen to be accountable to us because we're strong in an area, and so we kind of get puffed up with pride and forget that there's sin in our own lives. And might not be as, might not be as big and might not be devastating my life right now, but we need to realize that we all have a sinful nature. The next thing he speaks about is an unguarded strength or an unprepared heart. And how sometimes there's areas that we're strong in, and you'll see people fall in them. You might have seen in the last few years just a few high-profile pastors who've fallen in certain areas. And people will often say they're hypocrites. You know, how could they have done that? Um, they, were, they, they will have sermons that they preached used against them because now everything's on YouTube. It's like evidence. And people can say this person preached about that, and now they committed that exact same sin. What a hypocrite. And the reality is that they probably weren't. They probably were in a very good place, and it might have just been an unguarded strength. And often, if the devil can't get us in our weaknesses, he then goes to our strengths, and because we don't see the need to always protect it. Maybe you're someone who doesn't have an issue walking in sexual purity, and then next thing you fell. And maybe it is you were honoring God in it. You sincerely were, but you didn't choose to protect what God was doing. A third factor that often plays a part um, 
in one's immoral behavior is just the environment we find ourselves in. This book was a very old book, so he was speaking about people going on business trips, um, where they place themselves, the company you keep. Um, but this has become an even bigger factor because we can have a whole secret world um, in the virtual world. And so all of a sudden, the place where we place ourselves can just open a door for immoral behavior. It's something that probably will be an even bigger temptation to you guys than it is to, to the older generation and actually your kids one day. It's going to be a whole new field to navigate where we just navigate purity in the virtual world. The fourth factor that can lead to unwise choices can be weariness or exhaustion. There's a whole thing of like we, we have a rule in our house that we try to also adhere to is just not to, to have a, an argument after a certain time because you lose perspective. And so we just have identified that when you get tired, uh, perspective goes out the window. It's the same if you've just at the end of exams, at the end of a time where you've just like the end of the year, there are times where we can have a low and a lull. And so just to realize that sometimes even just rest is a very good and a very good spiritual exercise um, to keep us strong in, in, in our faith. And then the fifth factor is just our behavior or influences of the past. And so there you can look at just how you might have desires in your heart that are there because of things that you have experienced. If you look at things like unmet needs, unaddressed guilt, and untreated pain, those are all doors that can be open to having desires met, to having needs met, um, because those needs are so strong, especially if you grew up in, a, in an unloving home with cold parents, and so the very thing you desire is love, but you will make stupid decisions because of it. You'll do anything for a relationship. You'll do anything for the person you're dating and not honoring God in these decisions. We see through Isaac that you can step from church into the pit of sin. You can step from being in a good place with God to being in a very good, bad place. And these are just a few pointers and things to be aware of in ways of wisdom nuggets to protect your life. And then the question is that when you get into those experiences, those can still be times where God restores, where he clearly speaks. And we're going to speak into it a little bit later. But the fourth point is that Faith elevates God, but sin elevates self. And we, before we look at Isaac's, almost his restoration, it's just important to note a few things about the place that he finds himself in. Listen to the words that he says, and, and do you think this man is honoring God and what God has promised and his family, or do you think he's honoring himself? In verse 7, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. If you see there, because he was afraid to say it, and because they might kill me. In verse 9, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And in verse 10, then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought judgment and guilt upon us. And isn't it crazy how sin just has this way of, of lifting our needs up? There's a place where some people get when they're so um, attached to sin that they can't even hear reason anymore, that, that God's word and their faith means absolutely nothing to them. And it's when they've elevated themselves and their needs and they've stepped into sin so deeply that they just don't care about anyone or anything around them. 
Now contrast it to, to people in Hebrews 11 who, who God commends for the way that they hold on to their life. Now incidentally, Isaac actually lands up in Hebrews 11 and commended for his faith, but for different reasons. But listen to this. Some face jeers, and these are unnamed people. Some face jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. I don't know about you, but the very things I don't want to go through. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. And that should be our standard. When we're looking at how we should live our lives and and who we should be elevating and who shouldn't be the most important, the answer is you shouldn't be the most important in your life. The whole thing of looking after number one and putting your needs first. And the crazy thing is that often the people that we're aspiring to be with like, are people who have, who have put their needs first. And a caution to us is that sometimes when we are doing well by the world's standards, when you feel like you're thriving in life, those are the times where we need to put a check in place. Because often in those seasons, I'm elevating myself, I'm thriving, I'm doing well, I'm getting good marks, I'm in good sports teams, I'm making money, I'm something special in this community, and it's all about I, I, I. And like him, all of a sudden, we stop caring about the needs of those around us, even our, our spouse, our friends close to us. We don't care what happens because we feel like we're a gift to the world. And you see where it leads. If you look at just celebrities and how their lives are so exposed now um, in the media, you see where it leads when, when people, the way they treat their kids, that they can walk out on a family, that they can walk out on a marriage, that they're always in the business of upgrading what they have, be it a spouse, be it a better house, a better car, whatever it is, because they always feel like they deserve better. It doesn't cross their mind to instead rather give what they've got away, but they're just always upgrading, upgrading. And sadly, they even do it when they walk with God, where they're just looking for something higher and something even better. And so all of a sudden, Christianity, faith, whatever it is that they hold on to doesn't work anymore. And if you're focused on elevating yourself, if you're feeling like if you just got that, you know, a few more likes, a few more, a little bit more attention, if you just got a better photo, a better angle, a better whatever, then you would be happier. Then you probably have a faith problem. You probably are battling to believe God and who He is. We've even seen this, and and Linda and I discuss this so much, is just what is it also in people that they just so desire just to be affirmed physically on the outside and just want that, that affirmation. And so they'll put themselves out there and they'll, they'll put photos that are inappropriate and they just want that attention. They're craving it. Maybe your answer is that you need to step into faith in God because it's something I can tell you it concerns me. It breaks my heart that people feel, and especially young women, feel like they need to do that to get affirmation. That is not the way you need to get affirmation. There's nothing more beautiful than a modest person who has a beauty that shines from the inside out. And so that's where we need to be camping. And if you find that you're there, if you've got those insecurities, if you're craving attention from the world, if you're craving an elevation of yourself, maybe you need to go back and be praying for faith. Lord, I'm praying for faith to believe that I don't need to put photos of myself up that are inappropriate, that I don't need to disclose what's behind my clothes for people to affirm me, that I don't need to look a certain way or have a photo of a certain angle. I'm going to trust you 
that I'm just going to be faithful to who you've created me to be. And I'm not slating everyone. There's so many examples here of purity and certain people that walk with God. And so it's something that I've also seen a lot of you setting the bar really high. But that we need to carry on doing that and we kind of need to die to ourselves and elevate God. Then the beautiful thing, number five, is that God's promises stand even when we have fallen. We see here Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and and servants that the Philistines envied him. And the beauty of it is that God doesn't not forgive us, and we're not cast off from the Lord forever. That sin, although it separates us from God, repentance brings us back to Him and can sometimes bring us even closer. And one of the biggest ways that Satan, once again, can get into um, making unbelievers inactive and passive can be because he holds our sin against us and he continually reminds us of our sin. There's a great quote by Martin Luther. He said, Even sin, either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it's lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, you are lost. But if it is resting on Christ, you are free, and you will be saved. Now, choose what you want. And the beauty of that quote, it has to do with salvation, but also it really just points to our continual thing of, of sin doesn't need to be on our shoulders. And Isaac knew restoration, and he didn't battle to step into that because God still needed this family to thrive and prosper so that they could continue the spiritual family line. God needs us to forgive ourselves after we have repented and gone through a process of, of, of asking for His forgiveness. He then needs us to release ourselves. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So don't keep yourself in bondage. You're not doing the world any favors. You're not doing the church. You're not doing the kingdom any favors by holding yourself in this bondage. And sometimes that can even be a form of elevating ourselves because I've just, I've just blown it. And you just it can keep you obsessing with yourself instead of embracing the work that God has done. Even forgiveness isn't actually about us. It's about what Christ has done and what He chooses to continue to do through us. That is what grace is, and we need to embrace it, because God's ways are perfect, and He doesn't falter, and His purposes prevail. And so maybe you have had sin in your life that you've, you've repented from. It's time to let it go. God needs people who are modeling freedom, that are modeling forgiveness, are modeling um, embracing His grace and mercy. So we're not more spiritual when we keep ourselves in bondage. And then the last thing that we, that we look at is just how history repeats itself, um, but there's still a new story forming. And just how we see in, in His life that that history kind of, he, and this is something that we all battle with. I think we have, we have our family line. We have our humanity. Um, I don't know about you, but you can see certain weaknesses coming through. Maybe things that were handed down from your parents. Um, we can just use the cold and uncaring. Maybe you came from a cold and uncaring family, and all of a sudden you really battle to have compassion. Maybe there's something that you just feel like your family was in bondage to, substance abuse. Your father was a substance abuser, and now all of a sudden you see those addictive behaviors in yourself. And we see these patterns repeating themselves. And that's what we see in the life of Isaac. And some of it was good and some was bad. We see, if you think about it, both, both Abraham and him lied about their, their spouse being their sister. And that's strange. I, I wonder, and I don't really, I didn't find any place where, where it 
proves that Isaac actually knew about what his dad had done. So was it something that was just in their character, in their nature? And you see how um, there were well wars. So wells like water. And so obviously water was part of their life. And um, in, in, the, in the final chapter, in the final verses, you just see how there's this fight over water and then they dig. And in the end, he gets this beautiful well and this, just this life. And it's like this family line, God's blessing and favor. It's going to continue. You see things like they both battled with infertility. They both battled with faith in God. And, and you see these things that, and this is the reality when we walk with God, is that we still have our humanity, but God is still writing a new story. And if you let him come in and change your life and change your family's life, it's also amazing how quickly things can change. I've just been so blessed in my own family. My parents both came from very broken families and very messed up, and people who didn't know and love God Yet I've known nothing different but a godly home where God was number one, where God was honored, where his word was honored. In one generation, everything is completely different. Where yesterday, amongst the water slide wars, I could see just grandkids coming up through our family who just know and love God and actually have an amazing, amazing testimony. I look at some of the oldest ones and just what God is doing and just the roles that they're playing in their church. And I think if, if, if they're great-grandparents had to see them, they, were, they, they wouldn't, nothing would resonate. They wouldn't recognize what God is doing because they didn't serve God and didn't love Him. But God has done a new thing. And so we are not in bondage to whatever we've been handed down. You are not in bondage to addiction, to bad habits, to bad behavior, to bad family lines. And I love this, this verse, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And that's the blessing that comes, that if you choose to serve God and put Him first, like Isaac, He will do a new thing through you, through your family. And so as I, as I just wrap up and as we end, I just want to, to challenge you. There are so many kind of nuggets that we, of gold in Isaac's life that we can embrace this wisdom. But the main thing is, are you going to choose wisdom? Are you going to choose to embrace it at any cost? Are you going to choose to let God's word be the compass for your life? Are you going to choose to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit when it comes to everything? As I said, these are the seasons, this especially when you're in your teen years and your young adult. They are such important years as you choose a career, as you choose the people that you're going to spend time with, the, the hectic choices that you're going to make, whether you're going to enter into a certain lifestyle or not, if you're going to start partying and drinking and the role that those things will play in your life when you're choosing your spouse, your career, how you're going to push into finances and wealth, where you're even going to place yourself strategically. These are such crucial years that if you choose to step out of God's will, it's going to define you and you'll pay for the rest of your life. If you choose to, to marry the wrong person, I'm not even speaking about a non-Christian, but just not God's number one choice for you, that that can be the very thing that makes or breaks you. I remember a very hard season in my life when I'd chosen to date the wrong person. And I remember my brother and my dad coming to speak to me. And they gave me a bit of a harsh reality check that, that actually did, uh, it brought out rebellion in me initially because I just wanted them to affirm my choice. But it actually saved my life. That I, and I did choose to listen to them. And the analogy was the whole Abraham um, and Sarah's story where, where they didn't choose to hold on to the promise that God has, had given them. Instead, they chose to make their own plan. And how just in their humanity and in their flesh, 
there was devastating consequences. And they both just warned me and said, just be careful of the person that you choose. And I'm so happy that two people love me enough to come and tell me that truth. I'm happy that I chose to honor God's word and that when people came to speak God's word, I knew it was life. And then I'm so happy that I chose obedience because I really grappled with it. And so I chose obedience. I chose to honor God. And it just, it meant actually years of wondering if I'd made the right decision. Because you know what? The partner didn't just jump into my life. I got married a bit older. I had many years of just thinking, am I going to be alone for the rest of my life? But still, obedience was worth it. So I'm here just as a testimony of just going, God is completely worth it. His ways are good. His word is truth. He is never going to, there's no untruth in him. There's no lie. So to use God and his word as your reference for life and every decision you make, you will not make a mistake if you choose to honor him. So if I can have the worship team come up, I'm just going to pray. And um, just to challenge you, I know wisdom is a hard thing to sometimes embrace because sometimes it calls for brave responses and big responses. But just to call you to honor wisdom, to honor the people that we learn through in God's word and to constantly just make that our compass for life. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word can purify us. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for restoration. We thank you that you know our lives intimately. You know our thoughts. You know our concerns. You know our heart. And so Lord, we all stand here together in different places. And Lord, we know for all of us, we came from different spaces. We came from, we're all in a different place with you even. But Lord, our, our longing and desire of our heart is just for you to continue to work, to do what needs to be done. Lord, for some it will be brave steps of obedience. For others it will be repentance. For others it will be letting go of the past. For others it will be just choosing to walk with you daily. Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do tonight, may we honor it and may we be bold enough to do it. Lord, may we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you choose to use us, and may we realize how significant it is to be part of your kingdom, how this is the hope for the world, how you choose to use your church to influence the world, Lord. And so we come here as your servants, and we say just continue to work in our lives. Lord, as we worship, we just pray that we'll respond to you. Lord, just be with us now, and thank you for your presence. Amen. Thanks, Jess.